Welcome to Mrs. Flick's Picks, where busy moms can find the best books for their kids. Join me in my mission to cultivate children's moral imagination through good stories, beautifully written. Hello and welcome back to Mrs. Flick's Picks. I'm Carrie Flick, and it is lovely to have you with me today. A couple of episodes ago, I tried to encourage those of you who feel the burden to have your kids read all the good books out there. And I suppose my overall point was that there's great value in reading deeply. Small libraries don't translate into small souls. Today, though, I'd like to focus on the virtue of reading widely, and specifically reading books that our kids don't automatically identify with, or those that don't pertain to their interests. For those of you who know me personally, I have a thing with painting. We've only been in our current house for about four years, and yet the vast majority of this house has been painted multiple times. I get bored with the look of a room, and my first impulse is to paint it. I also, though, have a horrible history of choosing awful colors, which accounts for why so many rooms have been painted multiple times. I'd like to think that I've gotten wiser in this area. I've learned that I must put one color up against another. Comparison of two shades is a way to determine the actual quality of the colors. Holding them under different lights is another. The same is true for stories. If we use stories as only mirrors to ourselves, how are we ever supposed to grow in knowledge or empathy? We can't let our kids wallow in just the kinds of books they prefer. That isn't going to expand their empathy or understanding or knowledge at all. When we read stories, of course it's rewarding to be able to identify with a character or a setting or a tragedy. But just as life is not all about us, stories aren't all about us either. They should be read and valued for themselves, regardless of how much we connect with them. And stories that present cultures and customs and histories totally foreign to our own only expands minds and gives more room for the imagination. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't believe that there is inherent virtue in diversity. There is an abundance of ideas that are just plain awful ideas, and there are plenty of books that should never have been written. But within the pool of worthy reads, there is an abundance of diversity. God made such a varied world from animals to plants to landscapes to people— Stories can be a wonderful door to experience so much more than what we find in our own backyards. Charlotte Mason said, Children make large demands upon us. We owe it to them to initiate an immense number of interests. Thou hast set my feet in a large room should be the glad cry of every intelligent soul. Read deeply, but read widely too. Our libraries, figurative or literal, should be one of the largest rooms in our homes. And when you go to paint yours, be sure to compare your colors.
All right. Well, everyone knows the story of Cinderella, and it seems to be one that resonates with people everywhere, as so much of the globe has their own version of it. Unfortunately, I think it's probably so popular because of the hope it offers, the allure of a rags-to-riches fate. Plenty of people identify with Cinderella's victimhood, but I'm not sure how many identify with how she responds to her abuse, which is in a quiet, gentle submission. Cinderella doesn't film a TikTok complaining about her long work hours, nor does she start a GoFundMe campaign for her attorney fees. She genuinely suffers, but never allows her heart to become poisoned by bitterness or envy or hatred. The Persian Cinderella, my first pick, is written by Shirley Klimo and illustrated by Robert Forsack. It maintains her sweet character, but we see new displays of it in the Persian settings. She and her stepsisters are all invited to the New Year celebration at the royal palace, and their father gives them all money to buy cloth for new dresses suitable for the occasion. But when Satare, that's the Cinderella character, goes with her sisters to the market, she's so hungry she spends her money first on food, and then is moved with compassion to give most of the rest to a beggar woman knowing full well she will now be unable to have clothes acceptable at the palace. I won't give away all the surprises, but I will say the prince must find his true love not once, but twice before they get their happy ever after. The pictures are rich and exotic looking, and your kids will likely be struck by all the depictions of Persian dress and musical instruments and customs. There is rich fodder here for the imagination, and it calls to mind more tales akin to the Arabian Nights stories. And there are a few other different cultural versions of some of the classic fairy tales that I think are very well done, and I'll try to remember to put those links in the um, show notes as well. All right, my next pick is a novelized version of the true story of Mary Jemison called Indian Captive by Lois Linsky. Mary Jeminson was a young girl in Pennsylvania whose family was attacked and kidnapped by Seneca Indians in 1758. Of the family members taken, Mary was the only one who wasn't murdered. She was given to a Seneca family whose young adult son was killed by white men in Pennsylvania. As part of the Seneca's religion and ancient custom, Mary was to replace the dead son. This is a very powerful story of suffering and courage and resiliency. Mary does not easily adjust to the Indian way of life at all. She latches on to a few individuals who are especially kind to her, but she despises them as a group. For the entirety of the book, she has to work through the question of who she is, what makes someone human, what the nature of family is. She's homesick and feels completely ostracized. But as time passes, she learns the language, she makes friends, she discovers value in some of the Indian customs, and she gains humility. Lois Linsky rigorously researched this account and the culture of the Seneca and Iroquois Indians, and it shows. It reminds me very much of the detail Laura Ingalls Wilder provides in the Little House books, Only this one, obviously, is from an Indian perspective. I will recommend this one as a read aloud because there are so many opportunities for good discussion around these ideas. 
There's one section of the book where the Indians pray to their god for rain, and then a thunderstorm comes. Mary is under the impression that this is the same god as the one her family worshipped, only going by a different name. Also, at various points in the book, either the white men or the red men are demonized and spoken of with vitriol. Linsky presents a fairly balanced view of the French and Indian War, but I think kids would still greatly benefit from a parent-led discussion about it. My last disclaimer is for the illustrations. In an effort to be historically accurate, Linsky illustrates Mary oftentimes wearing no top. It's very tastefully done, but you may want to skip some of the pictures. I'd recommend this one as a read-aloud for ages 7 on up. It's not a childish book at all, and teens and adults alike would find it compelling. And my last book for you today is The Bronze Bow by Elizabeth George Spear. For those boy moms who are always looking for solid boy books, this one is perfect. It takes place in the time of Christ and features a young Jewish blacksmith apprentice who has run away and is in hiding with a group of Robin Hood-esque zealots. Young Daniel hates the Romans and the occupation with a deep, abiding hatred. He's eager to use violence in an effort to overthrow the empire and liberate his people. But Daniel also has some much more personal cares than the Roman soldiers in his village. When his impoverished grandmother dies, Daniel is faced with the burden of caring for his sister who's severely mentally ill, and as Daniel supposes, is possessed by a demon. He has to weigh the calls of loyalty and decide which cause he is more bound to, the zealots and their thirst for revenge, or his sister's utter helplessness to function without him. One of the pivotal characters to help Daniel sort through all this is actually Simon, a former zealot himself, who has recently left his home and business in order to follow a new and outrageous rabbi called Jesus of Nazareth. I really can't overstate how meaty this book is in painting pictures of daily Jewish life in the time of Jesus. The food, the Pharisee traditions, the religious celebrations, the social structures, it's all described so vividly. I think anyone interested in the New Testament would greatly benefit from reading it. But more than that, it is provocative in depicting one young man's journey of dying to himself and giving up that which he cherishes most in order to be a man in the fullest sense of the word. Daniel is hot-tempered and selfish and arrogant, but after hearing Jesus speak, he cannot remain unchanged. I highly recommend it for both boys and girls, but it's probably best for ages 10 and up. And that wraps up this week's picks. Hey, do me a favor. If you are enjoying this podcast, I would love for you to help me get the good word out about good books. Like, subscribe, and share. And until next time, happy reading.